Hi, Spring fans. Welcome to a beautiful podcast. I'm your host, Spring Developer Advocate Josh Long, and this show is all about the real heroes behind Spring and its ecosystem. Hey, Spring fans. How you doing? I'm doing, uh, you know, I'm still here. <laughs> all things all things considered, I'm okay, uh, relatively. But, uh, you know, I got, got, I got COVID. Uh, uh, yeah. Stupid virus is stupid. News at 11, I guess, but uh, what a catastrophe this week's been. You know, my birthday was on the 31st of January, so not just two days ago, uh, and uh, I woke up to a positive COVID test, which is the worst birthday gift ever. Um, yeah, that was that was not great. You know, it was my birthday, which is, you know, who cares, but it was also my late father. My, pa- my father passed away in 2019, my biological father. I am... I should mention, uh, I'm not flexing here. I appreciate that. I'm very, very, very lucky. But I've got two men I can call dad in my life. You know, uh, uh, my my stepdad and my biological dad. My biological dad I love uh, and loved as much as anybody can. Uh, but uh, I, I was so lucky to have a, uh, my, my stepdad. Um, you know, uh, obviously I miss my biological dad. But I'm just saying I, I, I'm very grateful to also have in my life uh, my, my stepdad. But uh, my, my biological dad, um, uh, he and I had the same birthday, right? Which is pretty cool. Not the same year, obviously. Worth saying, I guess. But but yeah, um, anyway, rest in peace, Dad. I thought about you. Uh, you know, I think about you all the time, but uh, especially over the over our birthday. Um, and uh, that was, oh, positive COVID test. Not great. Not great at all. Not what you want. Pretty horrible birthday gift. Um uh, but what is a good gift is uh, I went out and got that that uh, Paxlovid, right? Uh, Paxlovid is uh, this I don't know miracle cure or whatever that uh, that uh, is a therapy. It's like Tamiflu but for COVID. And uh, so far, yeah, uh, night and day difference. I I've taken four doses total, and um, you know it's not without side effects. You need to talk to a doctor and all that jazz. But uh, you 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 know. The only thing I can say that's kind of un, un you know, uh, disple- uh, displeasing or unpleasant or whatever uh, is uh, it leaves this tinny metal taste in your mouth uh, that just doesn't seem to quit, and it's sort of it tastes, I imagine, like what it would taste like if the entire army washed their gym socks in in my mouth. You know, it's it's disgusting. Um. Uh. Yeah. So. So that's not good. Uh. But. Uh, but otherwise, it was. You know, I'm. I'm feeling a far sight improved. Um. It's become a very tame. Uh. Not even a cold at this point. It's just become. I don't know. You know. I. I it's just. It's. It's. A, it's bizarre. Like how bad I was feeling great, and then I felt like hot garbage. Literally overnight. I mean, I, I, I had, I thought I was cold the night before, which I suppose I should have understood to be a, a fever, but, but it's winter, so why wouldn't, well, at least in my hemisphere, it's winter, right? So why wouldn't I have felt cold? Uh, and then the next morning, I just woke, in, woke up feeling like everything was a matter, you know, like everything was wrong, and I needed to do something stat, so I took a test, and sure enough, there I was, positive. Um, and so this Paxlovid stuff, you know, it's, uh, so far, it's pretty great, obviously, and, um... You know, I, I appreciate that I'm lucky enough to have access to it. But uh, but that said, it's a common, not unexpected uh, consequence that you take it and then 
after five days that you're done with the course, and then a couple days after that, you might develop a super super tame. Uh, you know, you might be, you might the 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 infection might rebound basically, and um, and it's it's kind of crazy because people take Paxlovid and then after five days they test negative. It's that good, right? You 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 clear COVID uh, within five days or whatever you know, for a lot of cases, but then uh, you know uh, dispiritingly they they sometimes develop a rebound case and it's just a very apparently for a lot of people it's a mild uh you know couple days very muted version of the of the virus that just you just grin and bear it it's not a big deal it'll go away apparently but um uh you know i'm hoping i don't develop that but out of an abundance of caution <sighs> i've withdrawn from j focus uh next week and uh i was so looking forward to returning to stockholm uh, for for this show um, yeah I, I'm as, I'm so disappointed uh, I'm, I'm as disappointed as you know over that as I am actually being sick right I, I would I would much prefer if, if you said hey you can be you can have COVID take your Paxlovid and and uh, and and guarantee that I'll be safe and healthy and able to get on that flight on Saturday or what would have been my flight on Saturday to make it to the show on uh, over the weekend, uh, then I would have I would have been in much better spirits. But but um, there's no guarantees in life, so I've, I I don't want to. Some things shouldn't be open sourced. I've always said that. So I I'm I withdrawn from the show, and that just bothers me. It's such a good show, people. I was thinking about this. J Focus is in Scandinavia, in the Nordics, in in Sweden, right? And um, uh, it's in the dead of winter. Well, not dead of winter, but it's in winter, right? It's in the middle of February, beginning of February. In Sweden, so the days are short and very cold, uh, you know, very, very, very cold. Um, and it's not like people in the Nordics are starved for amazing Java shows. There are many in the region, um, including, of course, Java Zone and uh, GoTo has a, a show that runs in various cities there, I think, or at least they used to. I, don't, I haven't been to one since before the uh, the pandemic. And um, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just, despite all of this, people love that show and they turn up uh, in droves for the show, and uh, there's a reason. It's a really good one, and I'm, oh, I'm so bummed. I'm really just, <sighs> okay. Well, anyway, life can't all be good, right? You can't appreciate the sweet without the sour. So, let's call this. Let's 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 chalk this one up to sour, and just see if we can press on, huh? Uh, and on that note, I think we have an amazing, uh, you know, some amazing things to talk about this episode. First, did you all check out the State of Spring survey? It's out. It's out right now. Go download the results. It's amazing. You can just you can see there's a lot of cool stuff uh, going on in the community. Basically, the 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 proliferation of uh, of various versions of Java, what version of Spring Boot people are using, their excitement about different things. I mean, just all sorts of stuff out there. Uh, not related to that, but separate. The new stack. Um, uh, sorry, the uh, JetBrains Intel, the JetBrains folks put out a, a survey and they. You know, asked what are the languages people are most inclined to want to learn this year, and uh, the languages that saw the most dramatic uptick in interest. So, not the single absolute largest number, but the as a percentage relative to the people who were interested in it before uh, and who are interested in it now. Uh, Go, Rust, and of course Kotlin were the uh, single biggest jumps. They represented the single biggest jumps in interest. So uh, I just, oh, there's just so much cool stuff. I, I always think, you know, 
you and I, we're all in this uh, industry. Uh, we are engineers or, or contributors or part of the community or whatever. Um, and uh, I love that work that we're doing. But uh, a lot of times it's just useful to look at the meta to sort of like uh, uh, analyze us, analyze the uh, the community itself, you know, and this kind of stuff is really insightful. So go check that out. That's There's a lot of cool stuff there, a lot of cool stuff. And then um, also, today's episode, my friends, is with my friend uh, John Schneider, who's uh, not, it turns out, uh, the the guy who played the father on that TV show Smallville. Turns out, different different John Schneider. He is a former teammate on the uh, spring team. Uh, he created Micrometer. You might have used that once or twice. I mean, everybody does, right? It's one of the most prolific and successful Java libraries out there these days. It's uh, It was created for Spring Boot 2, again, 2017. Uh, we're now at Spring Boot 3. Uh, but it, it's it's it doesn't require Spring Boot, right? Spring Boot requires it, but not the other way around. So as a result, lots of other libraries use Micrometer as well, uh, including uh, some of the distinguished competition, right? Um, it's just a really amazing library. Lots of drivers, like uh, database drivers and message queues and all that, they, they instrument their libraries uh, in turn using Micrometer. So it's a great way, it's a unified way to capture metrics and trace information in a consistent fashion. There's also... Um, uh, he also is a he was at Netflix before, so he's he worked on the Spring Cloud stuff to some you know in some uh, capacity as well in his time here with us. Uh, he then went on to do all sorts of cool stuff. Uh, you know, had a minute at at Gradle and uh, and and so on. Um, nowadays, he's the uh, you know the founder of a company called Modern, which is they they want to figure out how to help you modernize code bases and. Uh, the crux of that effort is something called Open Rewrite. So Open Rewrite is open source. You can use it right now. It doesn't have to pay anybody a cent. Uh, and uh, it's a way to apply recipes to refactor code programmatically. You can write code to refactor code. And it is phenomenal, right? So, uh, And the, the, the kind of interesting bit is that if you use a build plugin uh, for Maven or Gradle, you can package these recipes in your in your library. And when somebody uses those, um, brings in your library, uh, if you have breaking changes, this build plugin will automatically detect the recipes and then migrate your code so that it automatically gets refactored when you first run the uh, upgrade, right? That's amazing. I mean, it, it's just really interesting right there. But the question then becomes, what if you could scale that out? What if you could extrapolate, uh, you know, at writ large across an organization, you know, what would that look like if you had that kind of finesse? And that's what Mederin is offering. Uh, offering is a is a centralized repository, uh, a SaaS offering, you know, software as a service offering, where you can say, okay, here's my you know my organization's seven thousand uh, GitHub repositories with all these different microservices using various versions of Spring and Spring Boot or uh, you know anything in Java, and they've got other languages supported as well. Like you know, I think they're working on. Well, you'll see. You'll you'll listen. There's I think they've talked about. Um, Python or JavaScript or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, there's like all these uh, all these possibilities, right? Like all these different languages that you can use, and uh, but it's the same basic engine, and it's a it's an engine for refactoring code uh, and uh, doing so intelligently. It's not just regular expressions, mercifully. So um, yeah, really, really, really amazing opportunity here. Imagine having a, a piece of software that automatically moves you from Spring Boot. Th- Two to three and even refactors your code for you, right? It can change the uh, the Jakarta, you know, the Javax uh, APIs and JPA 
are now Jakarta. That's a breaking change. It's not something the spring team did, but it is a breaking change. And there are some things that we've changed, perhaps incompatibly, between Spring Boot 2 and 3.0. And, and uh, you know, these kinds of things happen. And so now, imagine there's an automated, unified way by which we can ship sort of migrations to some ease in that effort. Uh, I think the possibilities are, are, are endless here, my friends. So, yeah, uh, definitely just listen. Just listen to this episode. This is—he showed this to me, by the way, years ago, 2019. He showed me, um, maybe it's 2018. I mean, it's a long time ago. He showed me open rewrite. He said this could be big, uh, and I'm just so I'm pleased uh, to see uh, what it ha- what he has turned it into. It is phenomenal. The uh, possibilities. Um, so yeah, enjoy, my friend, as usual. Uh, I'll be here next week. Uh, you know, like with another great guest and hopefully a far less. Um, uh, you know, hopefully a much less, uh, a much reduced, a much defanged uh, COVID infection. Right. See you next time. It's, it'll work. It's going to be fine. It'll, I can see the audio waves. The uh, It's working. It's definitely working. Yeah. You know, this is it's the alive. number... I mean, yeah, to a life. Uh, this is um, the number one complaint I have. The number one complaint people give me for the show is the quality of the the microphone, the audio. Oh, I right? believe it. And it's like, I, it doesn't matter if I'm using a, a Yeti microphone mm-hmm. with a, like mm-hmm. a dampener and everything, mm-hmm. or if I'm doing it mm-hmm. in a whisper quiet studio with sound padding. It doesn't matter if I'm like recording. Sometimes I record on like just a laptop. Right. You know, or I'll just pick up my phone and use that to record an episode, and those are like fine. But then I go like with a several, you know, almost a thousand dollars in audio equipment, and people are like, "Oh, it sounds bad." And I'm like, "What am I gonna do?" Sometimes I don't process the video and the audio. I mean, uh, for the uh, the episodes, and people complain. Sometimes I do, and they complain. Just and I get it because it's just being piped right to your ears. There's Absolutely. nothing else for your senses to grab yeah. onto. You yeah. know, uh, there's got to be some sort of like AI based sound quality editor at this point right oh there is there's some like pass this through and make it sound good what is, there's that thing that people use uh, there's this thing that does like perfect white noise yeah perfect sound uh, cancellation I like what is the it sound called? of that oh, yeah what's it what's it called it's uh, oh, somebody was telling me it, it's a plugin you can actually install it in your computer it creates a virtual audio device ah. and it, what is it clear or something it, it does like an amazingly good job right it, even though you're in a crowded room and there's, you're not just, wearing any extra headsets. It'll do noise cancellation. It'll just isolate awesome. your voice perfectly, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I love it. I, forget what it's I mean, we're talking about the audio characters for this podcast, but there's the video, you know, or, or at least our visual. Uh, there's no video. Yeah. Nobody sees us. But I see you, and right now right. We're, we're kind of staring at your laptop as it's open on this table here. Right. And I would say we're bathed in the green light. Of the spring logo, right, right, right yeah, it's, which is you know it's spring green on a sixteen-inch MacBook, just staring at us right now. Right. Well, that's so I keep that I keep that for my presentations, yeah. and on the off chance that I for some reason don't have a window open because you know when I'm doing a presentation, I uh, there's either a browser or code or I guess that's, or terminal, right? Those are my three. That's although that's true for my life. Those, basically, the tools of the of the trade. Yeah, like so. I you know on the off chance that for whatever reason. IntelliJ, you know, I, I had it crash on me the other day. You ever have mm. IntelliJ crash? I have. Once or twice. It's once not or twice. a common occurrence, yeah. you know? Um, and when it does crash, it really is kind of like, oh, 
Oh, that's it's a surprise. Let's take a moment and register what just happened here. Like, it, <laughs> it hard crashed on me, you know? Like, got an ASCII middle finger in the console. Hex code somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Like, gee. You know, so I, and I almost feel bad. He's like, oh, I didn't mean to. I'm so sorry. What, what did I do to you, you know? Come back. All this forgiven. Yeah, poor thing. Yeah, anyway, it hard crashed on me. And so then people could see what, you know. What was behind. Yeah, exactly. Burn. You want them. As that's. So I was like, oh, yes, that paid off. I staged that, you know. Uh, but I don't keep that green background because it's bright green, right? It is bright green. Uh, and so imagine you're in a dark room, as I often am, often am, you know, writing code. Yeah. Got the music going. That's got to affect your... You don't want that, right? <laughs> so, because it's too bright. It'll just like, ah, I can't yeah. see, you know? Yeah. So I keep another desktop where I actually do my coding, and that's a nice dark background, uh, yeah. you know, for dark that's mode nice. and all that. What about you? What, first of all, what's your name and what do you do? Yeah, I'm Jonathan Schneider, and uh, I'm a co-founder and CEO at Modern now, so... M-O-D-E-R-N-E? I'm writing software. Yeah, M O D E R N E. Writing software that writes other software. So very meta. Very meta. But you don't work at Meta. You work at Modern. That's right. That's true. Right. Yeah. Um, and you were actually one of our, if not the first. No, I think you were like this one of the whatever the first five guests on this this podcast. Right? Oh wow. Uh, do you remember that you were talking about um, I think another so. project? Pro- you probably would have been Micrometer. Yeah. You co- you you founded uh, uh, Micrometer. That's uh, right. Hot minute ago. Right. That's that right. was. Whew, time flies, um, and you've gone on to bigger and better things, of course. But uh, so, quick recap: you were, you, you know, I think the spring team first met you when you were at Netflix, that's right, uh, doing cool stuff there, working and you, on engineering tools there, right? And that was useful because it kind of fed into our, yeah. uh, our ambitions around Spring Cloud, and that's right. Early Netflix contributor there. to Spring Cloud Netflix, met right. Spencer at that time. Right, that was cool. Very cool. And uh, let me see what else. And then you were at, uh, at, at, on the spring team. Uh, like the micrometer is the thing I think. Yeah. Uh, you know the thing for which you might be best known from the, right. from all yeah. your contributions there. And really, that came from Netflix. I mean, I, I was there using Spring Cloud Netflix and in, inside of the Netflix walls, and I thought one of their key capabilities was around application monitoring. And I thought, how can we sort of generalize that and bring it to the community as a whole? Right. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of good stuff yeah. born of, uh, of of Netflix and other you know right. large organizations, and that gets fed right. into the Spring projects right. by necessity, right? I mean, right. Spring is trying to be the best of breed yep. offering for people trying to build services at scale. Um, and you are steeped in, like I said, it was not just software framework stuff. You were also doing engineering That's right. meta tools, you know, tools for tools, right? Right. Uh, and so that was, I think that reflects a, a focus you've got on... Um, Operations and That's production right. worthiness and all that. So you wrote one of my all-time Double Dutch favorite books as well, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, which was called. Forward, yeah. I, I did. That was a that was an easy one. That was like that was a pleasure. That was a, such a cool book, man. That was a, a SRE with Java Microservices. Right, yeah, right. For O'Reilly, it it, it could have just said it, it could have just called it the SRE book, but somebody took that name, Google. Yeah, right. that's right. <laughs> Bastards. Um, did you see the? Complaint that district uh, the, the 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 feds just I lodged did. against Google. I did. Whoa, that's that, a big time that lawsuit. Is, that is, whoa, yeah. I don't know if they. It looks like they got them dead to rights and some stuff around their ad business. You it know, feels that way. Sometimes. Whoa, yeah. I I don't know. Anyway, I'm I'm rooting for all my friends at Google that are yeah in no way involved in any of this nonsense that yeah you know deserve better. Um, but anyway, yeah. So you, so that book, your yeah. SRA for Java Microservices. Yeah. What was that about? So the, that was really about, you know, operationalizing microservices in in uh, 
in the enterprise. So it's like, connecting metrics, it's continuous delivery topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about the relationship of metrics and tracing and logs and the differences between these sorts of things. Remediation. Gave some pre, you know really practical examples of it. I really like the practical advice that goes along with the with theory. So can you? What, what, now, don't don't get me wrong, people. He's gonna maybe share some some examples. You should still go get the book. Definitely get the book. When's the audio book coming out? Oh boy, yeah. You know, we're writing another book now on, the, on the you know automated refactoring. So oh yeah, well that's we'll get to that in a minute. Don't give away. Yeah, the, yeah, don't, yeah. don't cut to the chase too quick. But okay, but okay. So can you give us some examples of like what was in that book, the SRE for Java Microservices? Like, uh, do you have any case studies? Yes, I mean we'll. Let's talk about just monitoring an API endpoint. Mm-hmm. And you you write a, a RESTful microservice or a GraphQL API, and you know how do you monitor the uh, those API endpoints? Right. Uh, how do you monitor the latency of them? And so I think a real practical example I actually learned from the Micrometer community was when we're looking at monitoring latency on applications, that the most critical metric to look at is the maximum latency. Right. So a lot of people look at average. A lot of people look at P ninety nine. And here we we're talking about max. And so we go into great detail on, on why that's important. Um, you know, what you're missing if you aren't looking at it. Um, that's information that I fed back to the Netflix team, actually, while I was on the Spring team. And it altered the way um, uh, some of those teams actually looked at their own services internally. So, so it's cool. interesting. And I, you are, I, I've never, I, um, I think, I always kind of wonder, I always, I always appreciate people who are, really steeped in a thing whatever that is I don't even care it just takes a lot of you can tell there's hours that were spent there achieving that level of mastery that frankly you know I think everybody should have that level of of mastery of something in their life right it it feels good to become great at something you know Um, I have achieved that with my ASCII art jokes I think (laughs) that's about it yeah that's that's all I got Uh, but but it's something darn it it's mine and and I'm going to work on it um, you, besides living and breathing this stuff, I've never seen somebody manipulate Netflix Atlas and wield it the way you did. Ah, right? yeah. Oh, it's a thing to behold, I tell you. Really, yeah. really amazing. So that every, I just knew somebody who was that good at that kind of stuff would have a lot of things to tell, a lot of interesting stories to tell. You know, now that book reflects that. Just an amazing book. Really, wow. really good. Learned a lot from Brian Harrington and Netflix on that. Yeah. But, uh... Interestingly, so there's a there's a connection in between, you know, Netflix doing micrometer and what I'm doing now. And so, right. the, the last project I was really working on at Netflix, I was on engineering tools, and I was working on mass automated refactoring inside of inside of Netflix. And I, I kind of imagined that to be you know a tool that was useful for them because of their special freedom and responsibility culture. And we can go into that a little, in a little bit. Sure. But when I came to to the Spring team in Pivotal, I was actually going around touring different enterprises, giving monitoring workshops, talking about Spinnaker or continuous delivery, and it's there that I realized that you know oh, that you're really having the same problems. We'd be talking about continuous delivery, but a team would say, "Yeah, you know, oh, I'd love to do automated canary analysis, but talk to me in a year when I'm done migrating from Spring Boot two to three, or I'm done moving from Java eight to seventeen, or or five yeah. years, right? Yeah, so, oh good." And, and they were really struggling with that. And that's where, you know, I kind of heard that enough times that I realized that this problem of, of maintenance and software is actually pretty ubiquitous. Oh, it's the worst. Yeah. And, and, and it's one of the main, um, 
I, I don't think it's uh, controversial to suggest that Spring has worked really, really, really hard on being backwards compatible because the alternative is turbulence, right? It's just right. bumps in the road on the way to production, and people don't have any room for any more bumps in the road, right? That's right. Uh, and so, you know, the, but it should be the, the other way around. It should be that new and novel should be its own destination. That's right. And the, the road to get there should be paved. That's right. You know? And, and, you know, change being a constant and all that, why do we fear it so much, especially in APIs? And if we do, the reason we fear it is because we don't have the tools to deal with it. That's right. With the brakes, right. right? That's right. And I think, I, I always kind of wonder about, uh, what if we brought that Git merge, you know how Git merge mm-hmm. changed the way we think about branching and merging? Right. It made it cheap and painless, right? That's right. That's right. Compared to like SVN or, or patches and CBS. Right. You know, the same thing for software upgrades. Like, that's right. Why does it have to be so painful? It doesn't, right? Like, it's got to be a bit way forward. So, right. Uh, what is what came out of that effort? Well, that's that's where you know um, originally at Netflix started this project called Open Rewrite, which is was about writing recipes or programs like individual units of transformation that would help you get from one version of a thing to another, right? Or to fix a vulnerability or you know a stylistic issue. Um, and so those become repeatable, reusable units of work that you can use to, you know, fix something at scale. So is this like a regular expression or like what, like some horrible pgrep That's, shell script that works for a minute and then changes when the new syntax gets introduced or what? A lot of refactoring technologies that have existed are really just enhanced regular expressions. But in this yeah. case, um, you know, Open Rewrite is actually a, a piece of software. It's a program. Each recipe is a program. And so we're taking the text of the source code and we're, we're creating what's called, we call a lossless semantic tree out of it. Right. Which is the syntax tree plus all the type attribution information the compiler knows plus a bunch of other metadata. The recipe makes modifications on the tree and then we can print that tree back out to code, faithfully preserving the original style of the project. If, we, if I did a recipe that did no transformations, would the output match the input? That's right. Even That's the ordering exactly of the right. variables and everything? That's guaranteed, yeah. So the white spacing is perfect and so forth. And what the framework helps you do, so open rewrite the framework helps you do, is when you do write a transformation, it's going to make that edit look stylistically consistent in the context of the project around it. How? So because it's actually backwards deriving the style of the project from the code itself, and then it's manipulating each edit to look like the developer on that project made the change. So you could take the same recipe and apply it to 5,000 projects with 5,000 different styles, and you'll see a slightly different outcome on each one. And all of these things are just ways in which we, we make it easier for the developer to accept the change and merge. And I don't think I would have gone to this extreme. And I think the connection to Netflix freedom and responsibility is interesting here. Oh, yeah, let's talk about that. Back so it's, it's, you know, I'm on engineering tools and, you know, we were responsible for Java 6 to 7 migration and 7 to 8 and, and trying to get people to upgrade build tool plugins and framework versions and so forth. But Netflix had this freedom and responsibility culture, which meant that central teams couldn't impose any constraints on what product engineers did, which is a pretty radical, you know, cultural philosophy to take. But... You know, so what do you do? You know, normally a central team would say, I'm just going to say, we need to move to a particular version by March 1, and if you aren't there, I'm going to break your build. Because yeah. we've all agreed as an organization that's what we're going to do. Sure. But that would be antithetical to this freedom and responsibility culture. So, you know, we would produce a lot of reports. You know, like, let's do, let's report this, let's colorize the Jenkins output, let's produce little things, put posters up, hold seminars. What can we do to change people's behavior? 
there was a hack day project at one point where my team got together and uh, I was involved in this, but other members on the team would detect when somebody was making a breaking API change in a core library, go build the rest of the stack to see where, what, who would be impacted by that. Then they would pull images from Workday from like representative members of the team that you're going to impact. And they produced a video that started with the title, here's who you heard today. And it would flash in like pictures of people and like fade them in and fade them out. Sarah McLaughlin is singing about angels in the background. <laughs> and they would start mailing these videos out. But here's who you heard today. <sighs> right? So no matter how much effort we put into reporting, it, the amazing thing is it just didn't yield any action. It, teams would be like, I got other things to do, right? Like I've got this business feature I have to deliver. I've got this other pressure. I like, you know, yeah. given the freedom, they're just maybe not going to do it. And so we would ask people, what would it take for you to accept this change? And they'd say, well, if you do it for me, I'm happy to do it. And I think they meant that sort of facetiously, but like, you know, at some point we're starting to think, what does it actually mean to make the change for them? Yeah. And because of that freedom of responsibility, of course, there's no stylistic consistency. There's no consistency in dependencies. So if we are going to start building automation around this, it has to be able to respond to the original style of the project. So from the very beginning... That was a core principle of it. Now, you could contrast like Netflix's freedom and responsibility and lack of stylistic consistency to say Google, yeah. which is much more controlled. They have Google Java format. Everything's going to look the same. If I were to have been a Google engineer building automation around this, I would have done it very differently. Sure. But I was doing it there, luckily. And what I find is that in the enterprise, it actually inadvertently resembles Netflix a lot more than it resembles Google. Mm-hmm. Because you have 20 years of Java development, styles have changed over time. Even if it's trying to be a centrally controlled organization, the reality on the ground is that there's a lot of different styles in these projects. Well, yeah, sure. And if only, even insofar as the market forces and technology impact technology choices made within an organization, totally. right? That is changing. It changes over time. Around, always changing. I mean, and it's not wrong at any given point. It just changes over it, time. It, it, it's in a new light, maybe, but right. it, at the time, right. it made perfect sense. And so, you can't hold people to the same standard. Or, and by the way, the standard for what you would have written in Java one point four before generics and before records Absolutely. and genomes and all that totally different. different. Totally yeah. different. What was funny is that you know, as we developed this automation, uh, you know, inside of Netflix to push these changes out, we'd start issuing PRs. You try to meet developers where they are, allow them to run the tools locally, run it in CI, like all these sort of things. And we would create these burn-down campaigns of, like, here's where we're starting, here's where we want to be, yeah. and how close are we to being done. Some people, just like anything, there's early adopters, like late adopters, you know, then the, the, the sort of long tail. And you get down to, like, 3% of the org that just would not accept any form of automated change. doesn't matter how, how well you, you, know, you, you do it. And I'm going to, like, definitely offend a certain population here, but... I would like I found this thing to be true where I would I would talk to this last three percent. Like, I'm just gonna come over to your desk right now, we're gonna do this together. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, so I would go to their desk and I just found that there was this strange correlation between people that didn't accept the change and people that used trackballs. Tra- like the trackball mice okay. with the with the little ball on it, right? Oh. And so it was funny, like as as like as I would like run around Netflix, I started carrying a mouse around with me because and you know, I'd show up to somebody's desk I didn't know, carrying a mouse. Invariably. And they'd be like, How'd you know? And I'm like, Oh I know. I know. <laughs> You're one of those people. You're one of those people. Okay. 
why would they be so uh, resistant to the? Well, I think you know merch. resistance to the fact that yeah, I mean here. Oh, you because are. they're using these old mice too. Yeah, they're just yeah. so. I mean, it's just like a it's change. like a personality characteristic that's. Oh, in. that is so. Because I would love to see a larger scale. I mean, you have a pretty good sample. But I don't know how many engineers at Netflix, but more than more than one, less than a billion, right? Like yeah, that's right. Seven, yeah, it was like seven hundred at the time. Yeah, but uh, but, uh, but still, that's a pretty significant sample. I sort so, of wonder writ large if we had pulled everybody in the Java community and looked at if we could somehow look at their GitHub uh, and see how many are using trackballs I'd, yeah, yeah. I'd be interested to know as well so, so I should make the argument for for the trackball people I know they're more ergonomic yes yes I know I know yeah. I've heard that argument a few times right but also deploying good safe secure code to production is definitely also very ergonomic that seems like a very ergonomic thing to do right. yes seems the right thing for, for everybody yeah. um, well okay so so you started a company to defeat yeah. the trackball people is is yeah. that what I'm understanding? Or at least to serve the non-trackball people, the, the first 97%. Because, you know, at this point, if we can get 97% of the work done, you know, the idea is really to take this maintenance activity, this, like, when we go from Spring Boot 2 to 3, when we go from Java 8 to 17, when we go from, like, you know, you look in Sonar Cube full of issues that, like, what if we could just kind of wipe those away? Because mm-hmm. when I got into software development, it's because it was a creative activity. It's an art. It's a creative activity. It's something we really were passionate about. Yeah. I am not passionate about going and changing every occurrence of an API. Nobody one is. One for another. Me, not even um, me, and I love my APIs. That's you know? the menial stuff. It's just tedious. Yeah, it makes me want to go to sleep. Just talking about it is yeah. offensively boring. You know? That's right. That's right. Uh, where's my pillow? So yeah. we would have called it the boring company, but Elon Musk already uh, called it you know, again. Called the Darren instead, yeah. you know, whatever. Uh, people taking all the good names. It's right. ridiculous. I know. Um, Trademarks. So, okay, so, you, so you've so you got this API. It's an API to manipulate APIs. Yeah. Just Java or, like, what about C Sharp or Python or, uh, or yeah. Kotlin even on the JVM? What happens Yeah, this there? gets really fascinating. So we started in Java, but then expanded early to infrastructure's code. So YAML, Terraform, XML, properties, JSON, all that stuff. Then add Groovy. And as we added Groovy, we learned we really were trying to get after great old auto remediation. We learned that you know, Groovy is actually just like an extension, not going to be a surprise, an extension of the Java AST. Sure. Uh, Kotlin looks very different in code, but it's also has it shares the same model with Java under the covers. Right. Surprisingly, Python, TypeScript, uh, .NET also share the same uh, AST. And so we could say that these are roughly C family languages. Yeah. And we call these grammar islands now, self-similar languages that really share our model. What's interesting about that is as we've written base recipes, like change method name, the kind of refactoring operation that exists in your IDE, when we wrote that once for Java, it applies to Python, to TypeScript, to .NET. It, the same recipe works the same because all these languages are on the same island. We went to do COBOL, and I've got a quiz question for you here in a moment, but we went to write the COBOL AST. That thing's on its own island for sure. It's not. It's just not that similar. Right. And that's okay. So it's like there's some similarity and there's some dissimilarity. So how many, if you're thinking about the structure of the code, how many model elements, unique model elements, do you think exist in the Java language today? Just throw a guess out there. Like for loop, if statement, method. And if you just like count not that many, up. right? Because it's got you've got class. That's you've got the right method. intuition. That's the right class, intuition. Class constructor method. Yeah. And then below that you've got nested versions of those. Yeah. And then yeah. within that you've got control flow loops. Yeah, you've got yeah. the if. That's right. While. That's right. Four, three. So three, six, seven, maybe. So it's forty. It's 
40. 40. Yeah, so if statement, ternaries, binary expressions, oh, right, assignments, right. Okay. You're talking variable about declarations, imports, sure, yeah. packages. So about 40 altogether. How many do you think COBOL has? It looks like a procedural language, right? Like a very old. Right. Uh, 10? 1,600. Why? Exactly. Okay, yeah, wait, what grammar... about this? That should just be one, right? Like, or no. <laughs> right. It's just the, the, function. Yeah, just parenthesis. Right, yeah. That should be like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, AST. Yeah. Yeah, 1,000. That was a real shock to us. Yeah. Jeez. So we, we promised to deliver a COBOL AST without knowing that. Uh, so that, that turned out to be a big, big surprise. But... Surprise! <laughs> Congratulations. There's two orders of magnitude more. Yeah. Goodness. Okay, yeah. Okay, remind yeah, me. Yeah, I don't know how anybody remembers that. It's so complex. No. Um, I'm really impressed by that. Well, in the same way that people can remember all those amazing characters for, you know, kanji and kana and, you know. Yeah, for, for I agree. Like Japanese and Chinese. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. That's right. I mean, the words that's are one thing, true. but remembering the characters, that's the incredible. The brain is an amazing thing. It is an amazing thing, yeah. Um, and I suppose it's doable with practice. Absolutely. But uh, to you, this is why I think they're surprised, the the uh, yeah people that can still do COBOL. I agree. They're surprised because it's it's not like you couldn't learn. It would just take decades to do it to the point where you understand it, right? That's true. Could, is there such a thing? I as, think we'll have enough data soon to know like what percentage of that, that like program surface area is actually in use I'm, I'm curious to know but um, don't have enough data yet to really conclusively say well so do you know COBOL I mean be, did you before you started this just enough to do nest? this I mean like I, I worked at an insurance company originally and there was it's it's like a lot of uh, older companies it's a little bit of front end code a Java middle tier COBOL oh, yeah. back end oh yeah mainframe oh yeah, yeah. of course yeah. I hear about it all the time uh, and I and to those people by the way I say Come talk to me. I would love to help you replace your Cobalt Kicks application with a very tiny Spring Batch app. A very tiny one. Like yeah. A, just I know what you tiny. Mean. Yeah. I know what you mean. Um, okay. So, so I like this. I like what you're talking about here. So, and the fact that it does source code, that's super useful, not just because of, uh, like, okay, so in the Java ecosystem, right. right, I tell people to use the Spring Java formatter, right, the plugin. That's right. It's not the best formatter. Yeah, it uses the Eclipse code format, yeah. which I don't think is the best. Sure, it just has that freeing effect of like, yes. what I'm type, the white space I'm typing doesn't matter, and it cannot possibly offend anybody right. because it's going to be the same for everyone. That's right. You can use IntelliJ, you can use Visual Studio right. Code, you can use Emacs. That's right. It doesn't matter. I'm going to run it through the plugin; it'll come out exactly the same. Right. So none of us have any reason to right. quarrel. Right. Yep. We can have ten different people working on the same project, and in Java you can do that because white space is completely insignificant. Yes. In YAML. It matters. It oh so oh my god, and in Python likewise. It does. It, in Python it matters, and it matters so much so in fact that if you have equal yep. amount of indenting, but one is tabs and the other one is spaces, it'll break. It'll break. Yeah. yeah. So being sensitive to that is paramount. It's, Absolutely. You know that's Absolutely. super cool. Yeah. And if you're using this, if you're using your stuff with the Java formatter, then who cares? It doesn't matter, right? It'll, that's right, because we'll detect that original style and just preserve it as we we make edits. But I mean, but then you'll then run through that, you'll run that code through the formatter, and it'll come out exactly as it should anyway. You, so you can, yeah. yeah. I mean, or the recipe will probably write the right thing in the first place, but right. it doesn't hurt to kind of do both. Either way, yeah. right? Like it's good it, stuff. I'm just, yeah. I just worry about those other situations, you know. The um, craziest indentation scheme, by the way, I've seen in an actual live code, set, like actual production code. Was each each like indentation level was two tabs and one, and three spaces, like two tab three spaces two point five tabs two, two tabs for three spaces two tab three spaces. I think it was a joke, that, but I like there couldn't... was actually legitimately a project I found uh, in in a customer's code base that looked like that. Is that one of those people that's like the never uh, never nesters? 
something like that. You yeah. know, because they do it to make themselves to make it very clear that you've yeah their idea is that the happy path should be on the main flow of the code, and so something if you're gonna like nest, you should never go more than like one level. Like, oh, you know, if, if invariant, if variant is invalid, throw an exception, return, right? Well, I'm, I'm impressed that you actually came up with a reason for that just on the fly like this. Well, I, I've heard about people doing that, right? They, they indent a lot so that they can see that you're violating this never nester uh, philosophy, right? Yeah, very um, interesting. I don't know if that's what the use case was. Just become here. aware of another, you know. It's a cult. Uh, like, cult? Yeah. <laughs> hey, we all, we're all tribes here. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, okay, so, good. So, I, I, I don't know. I'm I'm trying to figure out what are the languages. You, so for, you've got JavaScript, you've got Java, so C sharp. JavaScript, C sharp, Python. Those are coming in the next, I'd say, quarter or two. Python okay. we're working on actively right now. Cool. TypeScript is kind of next up. C sharp after that. Okay, those are um, the big. Yeah. But I imagine. Yeah. But but on the other hand, there are tools to get those updated to the new, like .NET. You know, they're famous for having tools to mm-hmm. upgrade their code. That's the other thing is. Just, Microsoft and has yet people really struggle with .NET to .NET Core still. So. Oh, that's true. No, yeah. you're right. I'm, I'm thinking like you know, X dot, X yeah. dot to X dot yeah. one, whatever. Yeah. But you're right. .NET Core is a subset. Totally different. Yeah. It's a very different subset, yeah. and yeah. Um, sometimes they deprecated whole frameworks. You know, that's right. Imagine Microsoft throwing this stuff away after a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that's super useful. And I think it was kind of like one of those things where Microsoft has able to keep control of the community. Because right. when you upgraded .NET, you upgraded Visual Studio, and Visual Studio had a wizard, just yeah. drag and roll, and yeah. it'll get your code moved over. It'll rewrite some of the code for you, right? Yeah. And I always thought, well, gee, you know, like the Java community would be able to move forward so, so much, much faster if we had tooling Absolutely. to pave that bumpy road, right? And this is a, I'm really glad you brought up this point because this is why I think it's essential that the rewrite as a framework is Apache license because. Yeah. Ultimately, I believe that the change I want to see is that it's a framework author's responsibility when you make a breaking change to provide a recipe that fixes those downstream consumers. Because it's just the economics of it. You could have one one micrometer developer, me, make a breaking change, and that impacts however many people downstream of me. It's worth it for me to spend a little bit of time. Just like I write unit tests, I write, you know, it's, it's just part of the care and feeding of your community to write recipes that help you fix so if the technology that you're using to write those recipes is proprietary to some company, then like no. nobody's ever going to do it. Like you can never achieve any consistency with that. I can't organization. I can't hire That's right. based on that. Yeah. So I think there's like there's an interesting, I think, like uh, network effect here is that like there's framework authors that really are providing recipes that honestly want their consumers to move forward. Like we would all just want to wake up and just like, Ah, everybody's on Spring Boot three because then you can be like, let's talk about the cool things you can do with Spring well, Boot three. So Spring Boot three is a great example. Spring yeah. Boot three is awesome, but there are some bumps in the road. There are bumps, and in the it's road. not anything we can do. It's not nothing the Spring team did. Like, the, but, at some point you have to move on. Well, yeah, but, but I mean, some things. Yeah, so I get it. Whereas Spring has done a great job of being backwards compatible. Here, I'm going to be the first to say it. Spring Boot three will break some things. It's going to break some things. It's not Spring Boot itself. It's Jakarta EE. It's Jakarta EE. And it's yeah. Java 17. Right? It's a bit of both. I mean, right. there's, there's some changes in Spring security. There's some changes oh. in Spring data. Those hurt. Um, yeah, but you're going to feel it with Jakarta. You're going to feel it with Java you're 17. You're also going right? to feel it there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So having a nice solution for that, yeah. super valuable. Now, yeah. my question is, open rewrite is different from modern. Yeah, right? that's right. Modern is plus plus, I assume. Yeah, I assume. Yeah. Uh, I... First of all, can I just use Open Rewrite? It's open, it's a patch two license, right? Absolutely. Is it, is so it useful by itself? There's a build tool plugin. There's like Gradle, maybe build tool plugins you can apply a recipe on. 
Right. So I, I mentioned there's this kind of two-sided, you know, population here. There's framework authors, there's users um, of those frameworks. I think the the fact of the matter is in is in a lot of enterprises. We're, we're talking about thousands or tens of thousands of repositories. Right. So what Modern is really um, is really doing is taking that open rewrite recipe. Right. And we are mass applying it across an organization's entire code base. So what oh, we're seeing is like, like as a service, we think of like ingesting the code in this lossless semantic tree. Uh, we can uh, populate them in memory. So you can take one recipe like Spring Boot 2 to 3 and run it across 50,000 repositories in three seconds. And then somebody can just mass commit all. Right. And that's so we saw a team just last quarter um, jump from like, you know, the number of like maintenance or technical debt issues they completed as a as like a proportion of their entire work went from three percent to twenty five percent but they didn't actually invest any time in it so just like i just got all this stuff done nice and now i can do and then then they produced 30 percent more business value that quarter because they weren't switching off to do the maintenance related activity and so this is going back to the your this is sort of like the best of both worlds here here you've got a centralized mandate in the organization that's right but Rather than being to, like, uh, they're not burdened by it. Yeah, rather than being like a you know shaming teams, right? You're providing them with, you know, the means to fix it. And I think that's the best like the best platform engineering teams or engineering tools teams are enablers, yeah, not gators, right? And yeah. not you know, there's not this like fiat from on high without people. That's right. So if your project has opted into using Spring then you probably want an easy path forward because you want to deliver value without having to worry about it. I do, right? I want I want an easy way to move to the next version of Spring because I want the latest security patches and all that. But I don't want to spend time fixing it. Yeah? I just don't. So I think what I probably the Spring team doesn't know, th- this has been a surprise to me too. We were working with one organization, I won't name them, but we were working with an organization when I was back at Pivotal that had 7,000 applications written on Spring Boot. This yeah. was back in, uh, in uh, 20... 17, yeah, roughly, or 2018, wow. 2019, 7,000 apps written to have Spring Boot. We met with them at the beginning of 2022. They had 17,000 apps written on Spring Boot. Today they have 22,000 apps written on Spring Boot. So 17 and 22 in one year. So there's this, we've started calling this, there's a software industrial revolution. Like we are consuming third-party APIs and open source libraries as a means of quickly... Uh, rolling out new customer experiences, but then the maintenance activity at this point has still been a cottage industry. Oh, totally. It's like every time you need to fix something, you fire up a forge in your backyard and you bang out a new part and you install it, right? You know, that's yeah. that's not how, like, if we have an industrialized production of cars, we also have an industrialized maintenance activity behind it that produces parts. Right. And I feel like that's what needs to happen here, they too. They need to catch up. I sure. was talking just last week to a retailer in the U.S., 60,000 Java services, sixty thousand. Any of those? Any of those using Spring? Most of them. Okay. Sixty thousand. Wow. So you can imagine, you know, Spring Boot makes any any breaking API service yeah. is that many touch points they've got to go back to now, yeah, which is fix. a year's work. If you said, At "Hey, least. you need to re- change and regression test this app," you yep. you just added one annotation. Yep. Yep. You know, my God, like. We were talking to a bank, a bank last year that had SonarCube installed. They have 500 million lines of source code. 500 million. Let that sink in for a moment. That's that's pretty typical. That is uh, larger organizations. 
tip that would scare you. We were looking at their sonar cube, you know, static analysis tool. Um, just looked at the top five critical severity security related issues. And SonarCube gives an estimate of the manual time it's going to take to fix each of those issues. The total of those top five issues was 4.9 years of developer work. It's just absolutely staggering. So, but I'm talking only five rules here, right? So it's like I write five open rewrite recipes, mass applied them, and they were done with that in four days. And so that's that's the kind of like that's the kind of power of automation at this level. If you're a engineering tools or platform engineering team, you need to be thinking about how you can enable enable teams like that because yeah. you, you just with a small number of developers you can. You can eliminate you know years of, of developer work altogether. That's incredible. I, I wow, because I so I don't I don't think it's our uh, maybe you would agree, but I think Spring is the fastest way to get to production. But yep. production is not a, a single place in a single right. time, and it's you always moving. You can't stand in the same stream twice, That's right? right? Like, That's right. Uh, and, and so it's that maintenance, it's that day two, it's operations, it's everything yeah. after you've deployed the first time, you know. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I, I again, we try really hard, but it's just sometimes. You know, yep. there's always a need to upgrade. Uh, and so, I did an internal meetup not too long ago. Yeah. There was 200 people on the call uh, at at this particular enterprise, and um, their team asked a survey question: If you no longer touch the source code of your application, if you just like just let it sit, mm-hmm. how long does it continue functioning? <laughs> and 83 percent said less than six months. Yeah, I bet. Just, just like so, it's like. It's weird. It's like imagine being a journalist, you know, and you write an article. That's kind of like we like we're writing new, we're creating new things. Right. But you like write an article, and you've got to like maintain that article with like contemporaneous facts as they change on the ground. Yeah. Always for everything you've ever written. You have to go back. Plus, and the language is changing. See, this is what this is what the difference between an article and Wikipedia. And Wikipedia That's right. Is a fleet it's living. Yeah, the Wikipedia. Libby. The facts at the moment are not necessarily the same. Yeah. In, in the light of. Yeah. Tomorrow, the day after, you know. That's right. Amazing. That's so cool. Um, so, open rewrite. I could use it by myself. Absolutely. And for maybe for a small, like, I don't. Would you discourage people from a, with a very very small team just using the local open source thing? Not at all. Right? And I mean, we're it's a start. Even seeing teams, you know, deploy it at scale in a certain way. Like you can insert it into CI and kind of automate the production of PRs from that. Wow. But. You know, ultimately, well, it's yeah. about the insertion point, right? Well, so the, so Open Rewrite is just a library that runs on the source code base, That's right. right? So if I'm running in a, a – there's no facility there to craft a PR. There's no there's no That's notifications. Right. There's no right. interrupt with your Slack or anything That's like right. that. There's no like – So you can imagine building those sort of like make, allow Open Rewrite to make the change and then issue the PR. Um, but, you know, if you do that in CI, you're only kind of getting – the benefit of doing that on uh, repositories that are actively being developed. Right. You know, you so, want something to proactively do it as well. That's right. So when a zero day, like a log for shell or a spring for shell comes out, you need to go and hit the entire surface area. Right. Regardless of whether or not that stuff is under active development. Ah, uh, so this is, so this makes sense. So this is when I call you, right? Right. What is your, is this subscription? How do I like, Buy and then consume. Yeah, so Modern itself is a we run it as a SaaS, but we do is we call a single tenant isolated SaaS. So we run it in a, a completely isolated environment for each customer in a cloud provider and region of their choice, up to and including one of their own accounts. So we can run it on AWS, we can run it in Azure, we can run it in your infrastructure if you wish, um, and then we connect the code to it. The code is encrypted on your side before it's transmitted, 
And we just scale that out depending on the size of the code base. So we can deal with 10 million lines of code, 500 million lines, a billion lines, doesn't really matter. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. That's, I mean, and even if that just applies to the languages that you've already mentioned, right? That's right. Ignoring that a lot of organizations are a mix That's right. of things. But, uh, you know, let's just say we're just talking about the Java stuff. Just talking right about Java. Yeah, we're very practical. you got to start somewhere, and that's like there's a big enough pain point right there. We start there, and then language coverage just comes over time. I'm in. You sold me. I mean, I, I, I actually spent some time over the uh, holiday break just going through – I've got a bunch of open source libraries that I maintain, right? Yeah. And a bunch of projects that I've built, and I'm just starting yeah. to – even I'm starting to lose track of things. Yeah. Right? I've got them over so, so many different organizations and yep. GitHub and all that. Yep. I was like, I really need to start thinking about centralizing this, getting real about just even my stuff because yep. I don't – you know, which ones need to be updated, which ones are using this. Maybe I should do a bomb. Maybe I should have like – and then I thought, yep. well, what if I had a way to like – Upgrade these apps and uh, and all that, you know. Well, we should we should do this offline because we also run one of these uh, Madarin instances for open source projects. It's public, yeah. Um, and we can just pull in we oh. we pull in about two hundred and fifty to three hundred million lines of code at night, um, and just run it as a free service for. Sweet. And so anybody open source contributor can just maintain their stuff that way. Even if it's uh, we have open issued... source but relatively unused. Yeah, it's totally fine. Okay, I'm, yeah. Yeah, sign me up. I'm, I'm yeah. Down. yeah, yeah. We've I, issued some PRs to Spring, fixing different things. Thank you. Yeah, as you know, we yeah. now are you using Spring and you're in the implementation of your We sense? are. Okay, we are. so it's a uh, yeah. It's feeding. It's a yeah. Hand drawing itself. That's right. Of. Absolutely. Dog fooding. That's the word. Dog that's fooding. right. Yeah. That's so cool. That's so cool, my friend. Um. Okay. I guess we're. I don't know. Uh, what's the? Is there a punchline? Is there something you want to like make sure we get to? I, at the moment, oh. I feel uh, overwhelmed with the magic of the opportunity here. So yeah. I, I can't wait to. I am too. Uh, I can't wait to yeah, hear more. I, I appreciate you having me, and uh, look forward to the third installment of our our podcast. Someday. Yeah, likewise. It'll be yeah sooner rather than later. We should probably do a Spring Tips video or something like that where we can actually yeah. show this in action. Absolutely, my friend. It's been a fun. Uh, wait, are you on the internet? First of all. I am. Where do people find you? That's the most important question. Probably easiest to find me on Twitter or LinkedIn. So John K. Schneider uh, on Twitter. Just look for John the Schneider there or on LinkedIn. Okay. GitHub, J.K. Schneider. Very active there as well. Uh, awesome. Awesome. Okay. okay. Thank Thanks, you, Josh. A Beautiful Podcast is produced by me, Josh Long. I do these podcasts because I believe that everything we do in software is for and made better by people. I want to hear from you. I'm Josh at joshlong.com by email or at S-T-A-R-B-U-X-M-A-N on Twitter, where, of course, my direct messages are wide open. Do you have guest ideas, topic suggestions, feedback? Don't hesitate to reach out. If you like the show, then please consider rating it on iTunes and leaving a review, uh, as it really helps the show. I sampled music from Steve Combs's Them from Morning and Springtime and Steve Combs's Small Victory, both of which are licensed under a Creative Commons license. 
I'm trying to hire production assistants to make the production of this podcast easier. I want to make sure that we can add things like show notes and transcripts and, and just generally do more. If you would like to advertise on the show, then please reach out to me. Uh, and if you can't uh, or don't want to advertise but would like to otherwise support the show, then please consider supporting me at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Josh Long for as low as $4 a month. Thanks again. No harm came to any seasons in the making of this podcast.